This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. I got to take a minute just to thank God for this new building that he's given to us. Let's give God a hand for that. I will tell you, it is, it is amazing to understand what God has done as I look out across this room and see your faces, which if you were in our other building, you know that's a miracle in and of itself. Our other building was pretty dark and uh, we couldn't see each other, but understanding even the, the architecture of what happened back when they designed this space for worship, one of the things that really stuck out to me, and I mentioned it last week, was seeing Jack DeBarlo, who's one of the elders at, uh, at Redemption Arcadia. He, he's helped us with the design, and he's an architect in the city. And he came in, and he's got just an incredible, incredible understanding of architecture. And he just talked about how the light coming into this room was intentionally designed. And the simplicity of colors in this room was intentionally designed because he believes that the architect had in his heart and mind just this idea of going that the color that should come into this room is the color on people's faces. What a beautiful picture as I get to look out across this room and see every color, every race, worshiping God together, lifting our hands to Him together. That we should look into the faces of one another and just be able to to see that we're created in the image and the likeness of God. I can tell you, man, just being in this room today, flooded my heart again just how blessed we are to be worshiping God together in this new space. So I just want to thank God for that. As we start this new series, it's called Pictures of the Kingdom. The reason why we're doing this right after Easter and taking a break from Romans and then we'll pick it up at the end of the year, the reason why we're doing this is because we wanted to follow Easter Sunday, this big Sunday. Last week we had 501 person. I was that one person. Uh, that broke the 500 mark. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but just to see all the people that came and visited and, and, and to be a part of that celebration Sunday, it's important for us to take time and talk about what is the kingdom of God and to look at pictures of the kingdom. And we're going to be studying Matthew chapter 13 for the next four weeks. And we're going to look at just what it is that Jesus is speaking about when He talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and how important this should be in our lives. Have you ever uh, had people come stay at your house? Primarily if you're a family and you have a family coming to visit. Maybe they're not your own family or maybe they are your family, but you have your own house and you are inviting people over and they're coming to stay with you for an extended period of time. Now, originally you're, you're, you're really excited about this. You get to see your family and all you remember is the incredible people that they are, right? You get to see your friends and all you remember is how fun it was to party with them back in the day, right? But now you're a little more established. You go to bed at 9.30 or whatever and, and you know, fall asleep on the couch. And you got to weigh your families run. Your kids go to bed at a certain time. You have your own little kingdom, if you will. And so they come into your house and you're excited. And the first day is probably amazing. And you have a good time and you partied that night. And you go to bed. And on your way to bed, you see the mess that was your house, you know. 
little bit of anxiety starts to rise up in your heart. And maybe I'm putting this and projecting it on you, but maybe this is just me personally. Anxiety, fear, and maybe a little bit of anger. They could have taken better care of my kingdom, you know. On the way to bed, I, you know, I overlook it and we, we look at those things that are there and then we, we wake up the next day and we try to have and recreate that party there. But you got to go to work. you got these things that are going on. And all of a sudden you start to notice things that bother you about that person. Hopefully that's not your spouse, you know. Hopefully that's not the person you thought you were going to marry. But hopefully it's just somebody visiting, right? Some things start to bother you about this person, about these people. And then the longer the stay, it doesn't just bother you, it becomes miserable, intolerable. You cannot stand the sight of them, and you go into your room and lock the door and, and, and cuss them out, you know, just to get it off your chest and look at the mirror and say, this is my house, you know, and then go back out with a pasted smile on your face. Just kind of tolerating then, and now the excitement and the joy and what you used to like about them, you cannot see any longer. They are invading your space. That is kind of the context, if you will, of where we are at with Jesus coming into this world. The beginning of Matthew, for the first few chapters, it shows that Jesus comes into this world, and then it shows that He becomes man and dwells among them. This is an exciting thing. The Messiah has come. And then as he grows in life and ministry, he's, he's revealing the power and the authority that he has. He does miracles. He does all these kinds of things. And he does these teachings. And he talks about the Beatitudes and all of these things. And as the teachings come, people get really excited. Why? Well, this Jesus, he does miracles. How can you not love that? He heals the blinded eyes and he, he heals the lepers and he does all of these miraculous things. How can you not be excited? And his teachings, man, they're really great. But the more he stays on this earth, the more people start to see he wants to take over. He's got a kingdom and his kingdom is starting to bother my kingdom. He's starting to tell me things that I need to do and he's starting to show me that I need to submit to his rule and reign. Before he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand and now he's starting to show this is how my kingdom works. You want to get in or you want out. And then in chapter 12, the people become not just excited about his miracle. These people are becoming intolerable. They are bothered that this Jesus is preaching and teaching the coming of this kingdom, and he's calling them to respond and to submit. And here's the interesting part. In chapter 12, you see the Pharisees, the leaders of these people, calling Jesus and his works, works of the devil. That everything he's doing, these miracles, are works of the devil. They just outright said, Jesus is doing all these things by the works of the devil. This is the place in which Jesus starts to teach in Matthew chapter 13. This is the place in which Jesus starts to declare these parables in Matthew chapter 13. It's in a hostile environment. These people are over his popularity and excitement. And now they are just straight out, you're in my kingdom. And you're saying you have your own kingdom. This is my house. 
Don't tell me what to do. If you want to come and make my house better, if you want to come and make my house run smoother, if you want to bless my house, that's good. But don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me to submit to you. This is my house. Jesus declares this glorious gospel of the coming of the kingdom. Now he begins to speak in parables in Matthew chapter 13. And he's going to explain that. Here's what I'm going to ask for all of us to do. Is let's stand together as we read Matthew chapter 13 verses 1 through 23. And this may seem like a lot of scripture to read. But what better place to read scripture than in the house of God. Amen. And let's stand together. And the reason why we stand together is because I want you to distinguish the respect that we have for His Word. This is not my Word. This is God's Word. Let's remember that as we read. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, a great crowd gathered about Him so that He got into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd stood on the beach. And He told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as He sowed, some seeds fell along the path And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Those who have ears, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them and said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes." And hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I will heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sowers. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word immediately and receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulations or persecutions arise on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness and riches choke it at the word and and proves to be unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another case, 60. And in another case, 30. God, we ask that you would speak 
these words. Open our ears so we can hear. Give us understanding and let these words take deep root into our hearts and let our response be faith, repentance, and trust. We love you, Jesus. The people of God said, Amen. You may be seated. Here is the interesting thing when we start talking about the pictures of the kingdom. There's a reason why we called this series the pictures of the kingdom. It's because much of Jesus' teaching were about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God or, or sometimes it was called the kingdom of heaven. And when we are looking at the pictures of the kingdom of God or these parables, many people have an idea that the reason why Jesus spoke in parables was so that people could understand. He was trying to make it simple or tell it in stories. But what it shows us is not just that he was trying to get people to understand, but also as we see in verses 10 through 17, the reason he spoke in parables was not just to reveal, because only some people would it be revealed to, but it was also to conceal from some people. So they wouldn't understand. That's hard to swallow. You see, these people that called the works of Jesus demonic, these people who would not receive Jesus, the coming of the King, had their own kingdom and the way things should be ran. And Jesus didn't fit into their kingdom and so because he did not fit into their kingdom, they rejected him as the king. And when Jesus comes in and announces this coming of the kingdom, he's also wanting to reveal to those who have lived in this kingdom the pictures of the kingdom to come. And some will see and hear these stories and their hearts will be drawn to live in this kingdom, but others will not get it and understand it. That reminds me of a little problem that my wife and I had. I'm airing out some struggles. I'm going to need counseling after this. My wife loves looking at those pictures that have double meanings and making me feel like an idiot because I can't understand them. Like she goes, don't you see it? Cross your eyes. Like look at it this way. And I think she sits there and laughs at me because I'm looking at a dots on a page and she's going, don't you see the face? And I'm going... No, I don't. Look at it this way. Stand on your head. Do this. Come on. Look at this. Here's the mouth. And she's pointing it all out. Like, these are some of those that she tried to explain to me. She says, what do you see? I say, a lamp. She goes, no. Don't you see the people looking at each other? No. I see a lamp. Come on. Look at the lips. Look at the nose. No. It's a lamp, and it's an ugly one, but it's just black and white. It's weird. So look at this one. What do you see? I see what I saw all of my life. Beautiful women looking away from me. <laughs> don't want to look at me at all. And I start to feel rejection. And I start to cry. And she goes, no, don't you see the side view of the old lady? Side view of the old lady. And she starts pointing at the mouth and the big nose and all these things. And I'm going, you are stretching really far. All I see is a rejection of a beautiful woman. No matter how many times she points and shows and tries to draw, I can't see it. And then these ones, like dots on a page, what do you see? Dots. Michael Jackson, it's clearly there. Michael Jackson? That's dots on a page. 
Cross your eyes. Look at it this way. Come on. Try to see it. And no matter how many times, I, I, I swear, I've never been able to see it. I see some of you look really weird right now. You're like crossing your eyes. Listen, I think some people can see it. I'm not saying it's not there. And I think some people are just making it up to make me feel really dumb. But I will say this. These double meanings of these pictures are not only a good picture of what we can see in the kingdom. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Some people see it and some people don't. No matter how hard you try to get them to see it. No matter how many times you cross your eyes, no matter how many times you say, do this, do this, make this happen, stand on your head and do this, no matter what it is, some people see it and some people don't. And that's the tough thing when it comes to these parables because this illustration that we see, especially from 10 to 17, is that parables are these illustrative stories that also convey the mysteries of the kingdom of God. They're mysteries which do not show their meanings on the surface. These parables need interpretation, like these pictures. They challenge us to penetrate through the meaning that we can only see on the outside. And it also is concealing that truth from those who cannot see and those who cannot understand and those who reject it. It is a concealing thing. That's why some people can hear the truths of the gospel and be moved to tears and repentance and others can sit unmoved and cold under the same preaching. It's hard to explain. If you've preached or you've stand in a pulpit like this, maybe, maybe you've done it. Maybe you haven't, then you feel the weight of that. You get up there, you do your best, you study, and then you look out there and somebody's down there crying and doing their thing, and then somebody else is over there going, you didn't get me. For some reason, when you feel the weight of sharing the gospel with people, some of us start to carry the weight also of changing people's hearts, and we also start to carry the weight of opening people's eyes instead of just sharing the truths of the gospel. And when that happens, we start to take responsibility, and we start asking questions. Why is it that this person doesn't understand? I really want them to get it. And that's why the disciples come to Jesus and say, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answers them in a way that's so interesting. He says to them, I've given you understanding. They haven't been given that understanding. It's hard to grasp. But he then goes into explaining to his disciples the meaning of this parable where there's this sower who goes out and sows this seed and he just spreads it everywhere and that seed falls on all kinds of soil and each Soil receives the same seed, but they all respond differently. And three out of the four reject the seed, destroy the seed. And only one type of soil is fruitful. And what this shows us is a couple of things. One, it shows us a lot about God, His character, and His power. And if we're not careful, we'll miss that. First is this, and I want you to write these things down. First is this, the seed is extremely powerful. The seed will always produce fruit. When you see it landing on fruitful ground, it always produces fruit. 
The seed is powerful. And in that seed, which Jesus tells his disciples, this seed is the word of God. In that seed lies all the power for growth and life. In that seed carries all truth. In that seed carries all growth and power and fruitfulness. The seed is the word of God. The other thing that I think is extremely interesting is that the sower is wasteful, it seems. Do you notice that? Like the sower is almost annoyingly wasteful. He's going and taking seed and just scattering it with no regard for where it falls. And just generously throwing this seed out to all kinds of soil with no regard of not having enough seed. It goes to all. What this shows us is that the sowers of the Word of God and particularly Jesus who's come into this earth, the ultimate seed, the ultimate sower, the one who's come in is generous. This sower does not just choose what kinds of soil to lay and go, hey, this looks like good soil. I'll get the most harvest here and plant that seed there. He casts this seed far and wide. He's generous. He's gracious. He's extravagant. He doesn't withhold his seed from any soil. What we can see is not only the character of God in this, but we can see something that is hard for us to understand and I would say is a mystery of the kingdom. For the last months, Between Wes and myself and the different preachers, we've been preaching through Romans and many of us have struggled with the idea of God being the one who chooses. (laughs) We struggle with that. That God chooses and brings His grace and we're saved only by grace. And what many of us read into this text is no, obviously it's not God's choosing. He's scattering. Obviously it's not God's choosing. What really matters is my choice. But what we have to be really clear upon is that the Gospel shows us this narrative that is beautifully written throughout all of Scripture. And if we are not careful, we'll start reading into these text things that are not there. And here's the beauty of the Gospel, that God comes and creates this whole world and then man does make a choice. And all of us have continued to make that choice. And in our own choice, we have chosen something that is sinful and rebellious. That we would want to be our own gods. That we would want our own kingdom. That we would want our own way. That we would want to do our own work. And all of us, if we really dug into our choice, we need a God who would not respond to our choice, but would make a loving and gracious and powerful choice for us what we see in this text is not the sea is not the soil making a choice to choose the kingdom but the soil responding to the initiating scattering and choice of the sower that it is God who has scattered this seed far and wide and all the soil can do is respond Now here's the interesting thing about a response, and you must grab a hold of this to understand this, that that the interesting thing about a response is it is, in and of itself, a kind of a choice. Listen, 
When we understand the gospel, we know that every one of us has a real, real choice. And all of us will stand before God and answer for those real choices that have been made. We also have, when we understand the gospel, a real response. What I love about response is this. My response is only to the initiating choice of a loving God. That God chose by His grace to come and bring His kingdom and His work and to scatter that seed and that that seed would fall upon my heart. That my response was not to choose God. My response was to receive the seed that was scattered into my heart. This life of the believer is rooted in true response. Listen, repentance is a believer's response to God's kindness. God chose to show kindness towards me. I responded to that kindness by rejecting my desire to choose my own life and receiving His. Faith is a believer's obedient response to God's grace that He chose to show upon me and give me this saving work. And what I did is joyfully responded by submitting myself to the Lordship of Christ. I didn't choose the seed. I responded to the seed. I chose My choice was a response to His initiating love and choice of me. Where do we see this most illustrated? We see this most illustrated in in verse 10 and 11 where His disciples come and say, why did you speak in parables? And here's what He says to them. I gave you understanding. I gave you understanding. They have not been given understanding. What He shows them is this. Not only did he sow the seed into their hearts, he also opened their eyes and gave them desire. It's a powerful truth that this loving God has all parts of his hands in salvation. And what we see is our response really matters. It's not this robotic thing. It's a real response. What are these three enemies that we see. And I want us to look at these because I pray that the Holy Spirit comes and gives us understanding today. This is these enemies of the seed. We see these in the different soils. One is unbelief. I'm not going to spend much time talking about these, but this is, some of us have been in this place at one point in our lives. We know what it was to not just have hard hearts. We wanted nothing to do with Jesus Not only did we not want nothing to do with Jesus, we didn't want His kingdom, we didn't want His lordship, and we thought it was crazy that anybody else would. And that's the interesting part. When these seeds fall on hard hearts, not only do they reject the seed, they devour and destroy the seed. They're in opposition to the seed. Have any of you been or faced people in your life who are not just tolerant of your love for Jesus or the kingdom of God, but have an all-out war against it. 
I know that some of us have met people like that, and I know that some of us have been people like that, and I know that some of us in this room are people like that. Then there's this other, probably more penetrating reality of the gospel. These are enemies of the seed, and that is shallow belief. Not just unbelief, but shallow belief. These are a people who were excited that Jesus came into the world, and he was doing miracles, and he was doing exciting things, and all of these people saw and responded with joy and loved the fact that here is this good teacher, and he's coming to bless and heal. They responded with joy. That's that shallow belief. But then once the revelation that Jesus came into the world to be King and Lord, to establish His kingdom, to usher us into His kingdom, and that we were to live and rule, live under His rule and reign, we saw that it wasn't all just benefits, but there was a King who wanted to be the Lord over our lives that seed burnt out under the hot sun of trial and tribulation. I think this is one of the biggest ones in our culture because if the truth be told, many of us have received a gospel that has all benefits, (laughs) that Jesus does all of this for me, and who wouldn't receive that kind of gospel that says, you want to be healed? Yeah. You want to have prosperity? Yeah. You want this? Oh yeah. Then have Jesus. Okay. I'll take Jesus. If he gives me all of those benefits, I'll take Jesus. But then Jesus starts to talk about he has this kingdom and you're to submit to his kingdom and live under his rule and reign. And it's not all prosperity and benefits. There's a life in Christ that comes with persecution and rejection. And when you start to see all of the pain and the heat and the persecution of following Christ, you reject the gospel because you didn't receive Jesus You wanted blessing. You didn't receive the Lordship of Christ. You wanted blessing. And now, not only do you feel like you were lied to, you've all out rejected the truths and the power of the seed of the gospel. There's another one that we see, this third enemy, and I'll call it drifting affections. It's the seed that's planted in soil that has other weeds in it. Call it weeds and we start to think of like a lawn that I don't take care of that just grows with these giant weeds. Just moved out of our rental property and got into a new space. And one thing we got really in trouble for was the excessive gigantic weeds in the backyard. Not my fault. I don't have time to take care of weeds. You pull them and they just keep coming back. You knock them down with a weed whacker and they're back the next day. It's pointless pursuit it seems and we think of those weeds ugly and nasty but actually in their eyes this reality was these weeds could be more beautiful than grain in many places these weeds could have better bloom and flowers than 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 the grain and the wheat that they were talking about the seed that grows up and what he's saying inside of this is he's showing us that some of us have planted our affections for Christ amongst a bunch of other affections and we love Jesus as well as we love everything else and we follow Jesus but we have other things that are just as important here's what Jesus shows us 
Is those things beautiful affections or weeds become weeds in our hearts that end up choking out a true love and affection for Christ? It's amazing to me the call that Jesus gives in the gospel throughout the gospel. It's amazing to me that we see it over and over and over again. Somebody comes and says, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says, follow me. He said, first I need to go bury my family. I need to go bury the dead. And he says to him, let the dead bury the dead. And we start thinking, Jesus doesn't want us to go to funerals of our family. And then he says to this person, not only let the dead bury the dead, he said, the love that you should have for your family in comparison to the love that you have for God should look like hate. What? That's offensive. I want to love you, Jesus, but I also want to love my family just as much. Not a love that flows out of our love for Jesus, but their love, their desires, their affections, the things that they want. They were competing affections in the soils of these people's hearts. We could start pulling out a lot of things. Is money good? It is good when it's used under the rule and reign of Christ, but when it is a competing affection, no man can serve God in money. Family, money, sex, power. We could name all of these affections that are in our hearts. What God shows us is that what is destroys the rooting of the gospel in our hearts, what's an enemy to the seed, is other affections. The question then begs to be answered. Do you love anything more than Jesus or beside Jesus? I love Jesus, but I also love this right up there. No, it is a love. You are in the kingdom of God only this one great affection. And out of this one great affection flows proper love for all other things. The kingdom, I'm only in this kingdom. If we really read these, so- these, these soils we could start looking at these things and start getting really discouraged because if you're like me, you look at them and go, yep, uh, yeah, and yes. I'm all of those things. But what God shows us is that there's another kind of soil and that soil is God's Word. And when it hits that kind of soil, what we see is that His kingdom is a fruitful kingdom. These things are encouraging when we really understand that His kingdom is a fruitful kingdom. When His Word comes and hits this soil of our hearts, it produces fruit. If you abide in Him and His Word abides in you, you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. Fruit is not optional. It is a part of being in the kingdom of God. You will be a fruitful part of the kingdom of God. What else do we see? He brings the increase. I love the fact that we see 30, 60, and 100 fold and some of us go, well how do I get to the 100 fold production? And how do I get to the 30? We try to read into it and kind of look at the art piece and just go, well this is what it's really saying. And we try to understand and go, I just see this and that and all these kinds of things. And we're trying to read into the practical implications where the reality is, is God shows us He's the one who brings the increase. It's when we start to compare our fruit to other people that that we really miss the mark. Because God shows He is the one out of the fruitfulness of the seed that will produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. Not everybody's going to be 100 fold. Not everybody's going to be 60. Not everybody's going to be 30. It's fruitfulness that really matters. 
when we start comparing our fruitfulness to others, we really get into a dangerous place because it is God who produces in us at varying levels. God brings the increase. Disciples seek Jesus for understanding and revelation. Here's what we need to understand as we study this text, and that is, When the disciples heard the same word that was being scattered out to everybody, when the disciples heard this word, what did they do? They ran after Jesus. They went and pulled him aside and said, God, teach us this. We don't understand this parable. And then he spoke to them and said, I have given you this great understanding. I have opened your eyes. I have given you understanding. And others do not see it. When we see these mysteries of the kingdom, when we don't understand these, these, these mysteries of the kingdom, here's what we have. We have this Jesus, this King, who we can go to, who we have access to, who will show us the mysteries of the kingdom. How do we understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God? Not in our own strength, not in our own understanding. It is because we are followers of Jesus that He will also teach us and give us understanding and here's one of those mysteries your heart if you were really honest you do not understand the own soil of your own heart the bible says our hearts are deceitful and wicked who can know it we don't know our own hearts so when we look at our hearts we start going well i'm this i'm that we start trying to be the ones who judge the soil in others hearts and in our own But the reality is what we need is this King who will give us understanding. And as disciples, the joyous thing if we hear the Gospel is not that we have to figure this out on our own, but that we have access to the King to show us and give us understanding. You want to see what else we have? We have repentance and faith. Those are what right responses are to the hearing of these kinds of truths. When you hear the gospel preached, here is the right responses. Repentance. Repentance is the turning of any other thing or belief or any other affection. It's the turning from those things and it's faith. It's trust in God. It's saying, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot produce these seeds. I cannot become what I need to become on my own. It's the turning of other affections. It's the turning from things, these things that God's revealing to us and exposing to us. And it's putting our faith and trust completely in the King. It is trusting in Jesus. That is the response of the people of God. A fruitful response. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, we're going to go into a time of response. As we read parables like this, there's a couple of things that we should learn from this that should be encouragements and warnings. One is this. Many of us know that we're called to cast the seeds of the Word of God into a world that needs to hear the truths of the Gospel. Can you say amen to that? But as we are casting the seeds of God's Word, trust in the power of God's Word and trust in the fact that we need to cast it far and wide. But know this. Discipling and working with people 
and casting the word of the seed of God out onto others is hard work. Why? Because we're going to be dealing with all kinds of soils. People rejecting, people responding with joy and then burning out, people who have other affections that we're competing with. But in no place does it give us the right to say, well, I'm not going to cast the word of God into their hearts. They don't deserve it like we did. We do two things. We generously live our lives out. We cast this seed out. We live our lives sharing the Word of God. And what else do we do? We trust God to work in the hearts of men. Here's the other thing we do in response to this. We need to let the Spirit of God search our hearts. And every day we need to freshly respond to the Gospel. We need to ask God to deepen our faith because some of us are seeing ways that we have really shallow faith and trust in God. We need to ask God to show us the mysteries of the kingdom by guarding us from drifting from other affections. Many of us are not feeding the affections of our love for Christ. We're we're not feeding that affection. We are, if, if, if in all honesty, feeding other affections. And those affections are growing stronger and stronger. And hear me on this. We need the Spirit of God to come and dig into our hearts today and show us areas that we love other things besides God. And how do we respond as we let the Spirit of God do this deep work in us as we open up ourselves and go after Jesus and say, show us. We respond with faith. Faith in God and His work in our lives and not our own. We respond with humility, repentance by turning from sin. And we respond by living out the truths of the gospel in our own hearts. You know what that means? Some of us know that there's relationships in our lives that we are not treating as a people who live under this King who has shown us how to live our lives in relationships. We're trying to run our own kingdoms. We repent of running our own kingdoms and we submit to the Lordship of Christ in how we love and treat others. With our money, our finances, with our job, with all all those things, we run through that grid. God, show us ways that we are not submitting our lives to Your Kingdom. Let us respond in in trust and in faith and obedience to You. And that's what we do in this time. This word has been spread out. This gospel has been spread that this great God loves us and chose us and came into this world and has given us understanding and opened our eyes and cast the sea of the word of God into our hearts. Now what? Let's respond. Repentance and faith and trust and worship. And watch the fruitful work of the kingdom of God take root in our hearts. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the truths of the gospel. And we pray today that we would we would respond to your gracious choosing of us. That you have given us understanding, that you have opened our eyes and now we respond. We choose to worship you. We There's things in our lives that you're showing us are are standing in the way. God, come and weed those things out of our hearts. 
There's other affections that are taking root in our lives and choking out our affection for you. God, weed those things out. Whatever we need to lay down, sell all and follow you. God, there's hardness in our hearts. We came to you for blessings and not for your rule and reign in our hearts. God, I pray that you would take that spirit and just break the hard, fallow ground of our hearts. Show us. Do a work right now in our hearts, God. We need you. In Jesus' name.